the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. We're very happy to be with you. Yes. We really enjoy doing these podcasts, don't we, Wendy? We do. Yeah. We Thanks, smile everybody. at one another a lot. Maybe that comes through in our tone of voice. It's kind of special to be together, working together. It's really special to be working with you, Wendy. Thank I you. I really love it. Thank you. I'm curious. We recently had um, some visitors uh, to the TOB Institute from Kansas, from a ministry there. And I just don't know if you would want to share with our listeners a little bit about their work. And- yeah, happily. Uh, this is a ministry called Desert Stream. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll have a link in the show notes so you can learn more. And they have a a program called Living Waters that I've been aware of, gosh, for twenty plus years. And it's a program for just healing in our humanity when we have relational issues, sexual issues, uh, which we all have, by mm-hmm. the way. We're all broken here to one degree or another because it's part of the inheritance of original sin. It's run by a, a dear man, a friend of mine I've known also for about 20 years, named Andrew Kamiski. I met him when he was a Protestant pastor in the late 90s, and I gave him a copy of John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and he read it and started talking about it, and then some years after that began coming to some courses offered through mm-hmm. the Theology of the Body Institute, and eventually became Catholic. And he's paid a high price. He was very well known in the evangelical world for the work that he did. He paid a very high price in following the Lord into the Catholic Church in terms of people who, in the evangelical world, then rejected him. Mm-hmm. He's also had a difficult go trying to make inroads in the Catholic world uh, because he wasn't as well known in the Catholic world and... I've been trying to help uh, in ways that I can to give him some exposure. Anyway, long story short, we invited Andrew and two of his team members to come give our team at the Institute a retreat. And we had three days with Andrew and two of his team members. It was so beautiful for my team to see the wisdom that he brings, that Andrew brings. He has been doing ministry for 40 plus years and he is a seasoned man and very wise. There's, there's all these sensitive issues with same-sex attraction, with gender uh, dysphoria, with, with just relational issues, how men and women relate and fail to relate and wound one another. There's barely an issue he has not dealt with or confronted in these 40 years of doing this work. And that has given him an ability to speak into the real tender places of our hearts, where we're wounded, where we're hurt, where we dysfunctional, and we continue to hurt others, just because we're broken, not because we're trying to be jerks. But he he can speak into it, and he knows how to pour the Lord's oil on those places of our hearts. And my team benefited just tremendously from our days with Andrew and his team, and, and we're, we're looking for ways to work together in the future. Andrew's going to be speaking, in fact, at our upcoming uh, TOB Congress, which is at the end of October, October 30th to November 1st. 
We are taking it online, unfortunately, because of COVID, but also, as I've said already, fortunately, because we'll be able to reach many more people. You can check the link in the show notes, tobcongress.com. Andrew is a tremendous asset. He uh, will be there. Scott Hahn will be there. George Weigel, Sister Miriam, yours truly, Janice Smith, uh, many other speakers will be unfolding John Paul's great teaching. Uh, TOBcongress.com to learn more about that. And I'd also just want to let people know that we're offering another TOB1 course mm-hmm. online, and that's coming up uh, November 2nd to the 13th. And we'll have a link in the show notes to learn more about registering for our TOB1 course. That was the first course that Andrew came to, and I know it it was instrumental for him in, in his discernment process and coming into the Catholic Church. Uh, again, because of COVID, we're, we're beginning to do more and more online. We've only this year been offering TOB1 online, and uh, we just invite you to consider it. If you've wanted to take TOB1 through the Institute and haven't been able to come to Pennsylvania, to our retreat center to do, not our retreat center, but the retreat center where we offer it. Uh, you can take it online. So learn more, check out the link. Yeah, that's excellent. I know um, we just, I am not part of the staff, so I wasn't in the staff retreat, but I did get a chance to talk with Andrew's team and yes, was truly blessed just as you shared that you were. And actually considering what you were just talking about, it actually leads me to our first question okay. uh, from Maddie. I've been dating my boyfriend for two years now. He's a Catholic missionary, and we met through our church. When he was in college, however, he wasn't living his faith. He was indulging in things like drunkenness and hooking up with girls on a regular basis. He had a major conversion his senior year of college and now is an incredible man of God who passionately lives out his faith. I have been saving myself for marriage, and when I found out he hadn't and has been with many women, it broke my heart. This is something I struggle with to this day. I see a Catholic counselor to try to deal with it, and the emotional pain has gotten better but isn't completely healed and is sometimes still a real struggle. I was wondering if you have any advice for me and if there's hope that I can actually find full emotional healing from this. Bless you, dear Maddie. Bless you, bless you. Those wounds are very real. Uh, They're they're there for a reason, because we're meant to be in exclusive sexual relationships for our life. And when we're in a relationship with someone who hasn't been exclusive, it creates a very understandable wound. Uh, When we are wounded in these ways, it shows us that we are, at some deep level in our hearts, we're aligned with God's plan. Because when when we step out of that planet, it hurts us. So that that pain needs to be acknowledged, uh, recognized, and affirmed. Um, Is there hope? Yes, there is hope. Would I say it'll never sting? I I don't know that we could ever say it's never... You'll get to some point where it it no longer stings, because there is this sting of sin. Sin is painful, but Christ, here's the good news, Christ has absorbed, this is a quote from John Paul II, Christ has absorbed the sting of sin. Christ has absorbed it and transformed it. This is the good news. Maddie, you can go on a journey with Jesus, which you're already on very clearly just from what you've shared. 
you take this journey very seriously, it's quite clear. But as you continue on this journey, that sting of the sin in the life of this person you love can become transformed. It can become more and more a source of deep prayer united with Jesus for the world, for this man, for other people who have fallen in the same way. Uh, and I would, I would hold out this to you. I, I see, Wendy, the tie-in you were making with our conversation about Andrew Comiskey and his work. I would strongly encourage you, Maddie, and your boyfriend to consider learning more about this Living Waters program. This Living Waters program is designed precisely for people like you in this kind of painful situation from the culture we're living in, the influence that uh, college had on your boyfriend, that the, the secular culture had on the way he lived and behaved. Those wounds don't just go away with time. They are very deep wounds, but there is a path we can go on a path that wise men and women who have been on the path themselves can open up to us that can bring us into deep, deep healing. And this Living Waters program run by Andrew Comiskey and his team is one such example of where you could go and I believe find deep healing. Mm, absolutely. I think, Maddie, also just speaking a little bit from experience um, in our relationship, that to remember that those um, sins have wounded you, but they've wounded others as well. They wounded your boyfriend. They wounded the women that he was with. And because your heart has opened to God's grace, because you have received an unconditional love through faith, because your boyfriend has opened his heart through grace and received an unconditional love, you have the opportunity to not only experience God's healing for you, but to be a channel of his healing in your boyfriend's life, in those women's life whom you probably don't know, or if you, you know, may not actively talk with them about it, but because you can understand the pain and be a prayer warrior against the wounds of this culture, a healer, there is a beautiful, beautiful grace and opportunity that the Lord is holding out to you. And I, I encourage you not to let the evil one hold you back from stepping forward, not to simply kind of stay in a place of, gosh, this is my little corner where I know I'm, I'm a hurt person and I kind of hold on to that, but actually to allow his grace to lead you forward into how this can be an opportunity to minister to this important man in your life and to others through your intimate knowledge of this pain and also the grace that can come to set us free. Wendy, I think you bring up a very important point here that the pain that another sin can cause us can also tap into uh, existing wounds and sins from our own life that can kind of cripple us in, in learning really to love another person. Um, there's no man out there, Maddie, that you could possibly find that is not a sinner. And so we need to learn 
how to love broken human beings. And we need to recognize that we're just as much in need of mercy, even if we don't have the same, quote, sinful track record, end quote, as others. We are just as just as in need of God's mercy as anyone else. As the expression goes, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And I, I know of marriages uh, where one spouse has held over the head of the other spouse his or her broken past. And that is not a healthy thing to do. Um, there, there, I, I want to speak here from our own experience. And I've written about this. I've spoken about this many, many times. It's public knowledge that, that I did not save myself for my wife. I was sexually active as a teenager. And you, you did save yourself for your husband. And I am he. Yes. And I am so grateful that you did, my love. And it has been a source of sadness in my life that I had not saved myself. Um, and we've had to work through that in our own relationship. And I remember early on in our relationship, long before we were married, actually not long before we married, because we didn't really date all that long, did we? <laughs> <laughs> but we, had a, we knew one another for three years, and then we had a, like a seven-week whirlwind of having our friendship become a deep, loving, romantic relationship, and then we got married six months later. So to put all that in context, but right at that time where our, our relationship was taking that turn of the corner into something romantic, I was, I was concerned because the very day we met, I was giving my testimony, so to speak, at a college fellowship group, and I shared a lot of my past. So you knew right from the day you met me that I, about my sexual past, and uh, I knew this had to come up. I knew we needed to talk it through. I knew we needed to put it out into the light. And I remember the love that you were able to show me was so healing for me. Not that it didn't cause you pain, but you also knew, and this was more on the forefront of your heart, that that had caused me pain. And you, you so there, I don't, can you speak into that, Wendy? There's something mm. so important here where the pain that another has caused us if if we just if we get stagnated if if we if we just dwell on that pain and kind of nurse it as you were saying Wendy that's not a healthy thing to do the pain is real but the pain can be transformed into love mm -hmm. that's the glory and and goodness and mystery of of redemption our pain can be transformed into love that's what the cross is it is all the pain that we have caused Jesus transformed into love for us and, and somehow, because of your union with Christ in your heart, when you were 22 years old, Wendy, you were able to transform the pain in your heart that I had caused you into love. And that love that I experienced from you, in turn, was instrumental in healing my wound and my pain. And not that it was just a once-and-done thing, and we haven't had to work through other things since, but uh, can you speak into that? Because it was it's so powerful what and so I can, important. What I can share with our listeners, just that's my experience, is that in coming to love you, I was sort of fascinated by getting to know your past. I remember seeing a picture of your mother pregnant with you and mm. feeling a, a surge of love for her, for bearing you. And seeing pictures of you as a young boy and, you know, your school pictures and talking about your history and finding that loving you meant loving the story of you in the sense that it was 
making you you and it was all of you like it was that was you in the womb and that was you in all these stages of life of growing up and I felt like there was um something in you saying well there there are things I've done that no one could love yeah and kind of identifying yourself with that sin because we don't love sin we don't love the person who sinned and I just had this instinct that, but you, the person I I love in all the stages of your life, I don't want you to kind of cut out a chunk of your life and say, well, don't bother. It's not worth yeah, it. Yeah, I had even said to you. Yeah, I don't I expect could, you to love who I was. Yeah, I don't expect I you was. to love who I was then. Yeah. And you looked at me with such a strange look on your face saying, I, I don't just love who you've been in the last right. few years because you've been trying to live a good life. I love you. Right. And something that had been ruptured in my understanding of myself was was healed right. in that very moment. I guess that's what I'm kind of holding out to Maddie is that in her experience of knowing this about her boyfriend and his past, to whatever degree she knows about it, she can be a force for good yes. in helping him to heal as well, to understand when we sin, often there's something good that we desire that we're totally sending the wrong direction, but God right. knows our good desires. And sometimes it takes a person outside to point it out to us and say, here's what you really desired. The Lord knew that. Yes. Uh, and he loves you there. And so I think that's kind of what we're sharing from our experience that has been helpful. And we hope that Maddie can yeah. take that and that's, in as well. That's straight out of Thomas Aquinas. When we sin, we're actually looking for something good, but we miss the mark. And if you can realize that, Maddie, about your boyfriend, that he was looking for something good, but he missed the mark. Missing the mark is real, and it causes real pain and destruction. Uh, the good news is Christ can, can bring healing oil into that destruction, and he can show us the good we had been in a misguided way looking for. Um, so we hope that what we've shared for you, Maddie, will, will be a source of encouragement. And do please look into that Living Waters program offered by Desert Stream. The link will be in the show notes. Our next question is from Maria. She says, I'm in a TOB study group. One of the questions that we're intrigued by is that according to the spousal analogy, there's a man on the cross and a woman at the foot of the cross. This analogy explains our Lord is the new Adam and Mary the new Eve is at the foot of the cross. That from these nuptials, uh, woman, there is your son, is the beginning of the church. Well, in the passage, the son is John. But then the apostle God gives the church to his Peter. Our question is, then, based on Archbishop Fulton Sheen and this analogy, and John is representing the church, why is Peter then the founder of the church? Well, that's you're, you're digging into some deep layers here, Maria. I, I appreciate your question. And I don't know that I'll be able to give a thorough or compelling response. I'm just going to give you some food for thought here. And I, I think the one of the keys to understanding the scene at the cross is that John is the beloved disciple. So let's go back to that scene. Jesus says from the cross to Mary, he says, Woman, behold your son. And he's referring to the beloved disciple. 
this, as Fulton Sheen says, and here Fulton Sheen is just quoting from St. Augustine and many other fathers of the church who recognize that whenever Jesus calls Mary woman, we're at a wedding. And Jesus is setting up the relationship between the new Adam, Jesus is the new Adam, and the woman, the new Eve. That title, uh, that, that declaration, woman, is so profoundly meaningful and rich. It is not, as so often thought, some kind of insult of Jesus to, to his mother, like, hey, woman, it's, it is not that. It is, it is as profound and even more profound than Adam in the beginning saying for the first time, woman, right? It's the proclamation, declaration of the deepest dignity and identity of Mary at the foot of the cross, who in that moment becomes the mother of the living. Why is John the symbol there of the, the, the offspring? So we have Peter as the rock on which the church is built, but every, every disciple is beloved of the Lord, whether you're Peter or John or James or your Wendy or your Christopher, every disciple is beloved. And the fact that John is known as the beloved disciple, he's not known as the rock on which the church is built, he's known as the beloved disciple, I think that is the key, Maria, to the answer to your question, because that enables us to extend the imagery there to everyone who is born of water and the Spirit. Every disciple becomes regenerated through the mystical nuptials of the new Adam and the new Eve. That's what happens at baptism. The Catechism says baptism is a nuptial mystery. A nuptial mystery. What does that mean? It means there's a union of a bridegroom and a bride, and offspring come from it. We are regenerated the, through the womb of the church in baptism. Uh, God becomes our Father, as revealed in Jesus Christ, and Mary becomes our mother. Here is where grace builds on nature, the natural reality of nuptials, sperm and egg, which led to our natural generation. This is raised through grace to a supernatural level. It's a spiritual reality, it's a mystical reality, but it is no less real. Remember what Jesus says to Nicodemus, you have to be regenerated in order to enter the kingdom, and Nicodemus is confused. What Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? Jesus does not say no. He rather raises the conversation to a new level. He says, Nicodemus, if you don't understand the natural reality, you're never going to understand the supernatural reality. And we can even see here, this is why there's such a violent attack on the natural reality of gender and marriage and the family in the modern world here. Because if we don't understand the natural reality of generation, of marriage, of the family, we're not going to understand the supernatural reality of what took place at the cross and what takes place in baptism, and what we're destined for in the kingdom. So, Maria, you are a beloved disciple. I am a beloved disciple. Wendy, you're a beloved disciple. Everybody out there listening, if you are baptized and you are taking your baptism seriously, you, you, you have been regenerated. Whether you take it seriously or not, you've been regenerated by the very act of baptism. But we do have to appropriate that grace 
So the beloved disciple designation of John at the foot of the cross, that's what I think it indicates. That extends to all of us. Not everybody is the rock on which the church is built, but everyone is the beloved disciple. I really like that explanation. I think you didn't, you weren't sure when you started answering the question whether it, kind of came together there, whether it was, yeah, and it really did. That was very beautiful. I think we have that in a, a study of the scripture. We're looking at like the basic level and deeper levels. And, you know, that basic level, there is a little interpretation right there in the scripture that says, and from that day, the he disciple took, in, took him right. took her into his home mm-hmm. so that you could look at that conversation that Christ or or his instruction to Mary and John uh, on a very initial level of here I'm leaving this earth and this man will take you into his home and yet what this study is looking at is so much more what the meaning of this a deeper meaning of this um exchange is and you're just Drawing on that, those words, the beloved disciple, helps us to find that deeper meaning, not that the Lord is singling John out as the kind of the rock of the church, as you yeah. called, but as holding him out as the example of how dear to him every disciple yes. is. And, and we can add on that by saying, I'm glad you brought that up, Wendy, that if we're all the beloved disciple, then guess what? We're all meant to take Mary into our Ooh, home That's as a good well. one. Yeah. That's good. So is Mary, has Mary been brought into your home, into mm. your heart, into your life? We're all called to that. Very good. And she's awesome. Bring her in there. You <laughs> won't regret it. Next question is from Mark. Hey, Mark. Mark says, I'm currently deployed in a combat zone overseas. Wow. And I've been gone for over a year now. God bless you, brother. Thank you. My fiance and I are getting married in January. She's a practicing Lutheran and wants to be on contraception for the first year or two of our marriage. She's still in college, wants to finish school. What resources would you recommend that she and I can study together to make decisions in our sex lives as a married couple? Also, our honeymoon will probably fall in a week of ovulating. What would you recommend for people who are trying to use NFP and find themselves in situations like this? Mark, God bless you, brother. Thank you for presenting this this question to us. Mark, I, I can't underscore enough uh, an, an encouragement that I want to give you, and I want to underline it like several times. Brother, do whatever you can, and especially here, pray, 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 pray for your fiance that she not get on the pill. One of the most damaging things to marital love to authentic marital love, as God has designed it to be, is to render the sexual act sterile. I, I can't, I can't emphasize it enough. It, it is, it is a destroyer of authentic marital love. And if that sounds like especially strong language, I, I mean it to be in order to issue a wake-up call. Uh, we, we need to wake up to the fact of what contraception has done to married love over the last hundred years. Uh, how's marriage been doing over the last uh, just 50 or 60 years since the pill debuted? How, how's marriage been going out there? Mm. Not so good. Could it be connected to the widespread use of contraception? If we aren't willing to take a look at that, man, 
uh, we're, we're just not looking at, at what has really happened. Contraception has been like a bomb placed at the foundation of marital love. Here are a couple resources for you, Mark, that I would recommend. Now, before I do, let me just say this, because I know there are people out there thinking, well, I love my wife and we use contraception, or I know so-and-so, they love each other and they use contraception. We're not saying, uh, I'm not saying that the fact of using contraception means that there aren't loving aspects in someone's relationship. But I am saying that when the sexual act is rendered sterile, the very act that is meant to be the summation, the consummation, the, the, the summit of marital, the marital expression of love, the summit of that love that we call marriage is the one flesh union. And when we render that act sterile, it is no longer an act of love. And there's an analogy that could be made here uh, with the Eucharist. The, the Eucharist is not everything of the Christian life, but it is the source and summit of the Christian life. When we receive the Eucharist worthily, it, it's like a stone thrown into a pond that has a ripple effect on the whole reality of our Christian lives. When a husband and wife receive one another worthily in their marital embrace, that's like a stone thrown into a pond too. It, it has a ripple effect on their whole marriage. When, when, when we don't receive one another worthily, uh, in the marital embrace. That too has a ripple effect on the whole marriage. When we don't receive the Eucharist worthily, that has a ripple effect on our whole Christian lives. So I'm not saying that there aren't elements of love in, in a marriage that uses contraception, but I am saying that the marital embrace itself is not an act of love. It's no longer the marital embrace. You're no longer consummating the marriage. You're not expressing marital love. You're expressing some kind of other sentiment in, in a contraceptive act of intercourse. Anyway, I just wanted to say that uh, because I'm, I'm sure people out there were maybe thinking something along those lines. But Mark, here are some resources. I would, I would invite you, strongly encourage you and your fiancé to read together, or maybe actually read it separately. Get a copy for yourself and a copy for her, and if you don't have the money, we'll find a donor to cover the costs. Um, email Michelle uh, with one L, Michelle at tobinstitute.org. Honestly, if you don't have the money, just email her and we'll find a donor to cover the cost. But get yourself two copies of Good News About Sex and Marriage. That's my Q&A book. And make sure you're getting, if you're getting it from us, you'll get the new edition. If you find it on somebody's shelf, you might have the old edition. The new edition has 150 questions. The old edition has 115 questions. So get the new edition. Maybe read 10 pages a week separately and then maybe get together um, you're, you're, you said you're overseas. Maybe you have to do this on a FaceTime call or Zoom call or something, but talk through it. Bring out into the open whatever comes up. It could be one of the greatest things you could do to, to prepare yourself for marriage. Uh, that's what I'd recommend. That's probably the, the best resource that comes to, the, to my mind. Certainly one of the best that I've written for, for your situation, for an engaged couple that has questions about this. So I, I wrote that with you specifically in mind, Mark. And Wendy, I know that there was part of the question about natural family planning and abstaining. They, they might need, if they're going to use natural family planning, I hope you do, that they may end up needing to abstain on the honeymoon. Uh, remember, we, have, we had friends who had that situation. Oh, yes. Um, do you want to talk into that a little bit? Mark, yes. Anytime that a couple is entering marriage with a need to avoid pregnancy, there is this question in the heart of this couple longing to be married. 
What if we have to abstain on our honeymoon? We, I remember we were wondering. Of we were looking course. at your cycle and wondering, is it, are we going to have to abstain on our honeymoon? Yes, and yeah. Did we desire to abstain on our honeymoon? No. No. If we had to, would we have embraced it? Yes, yes. we would have. Um, certainly, no one wishes to have that be his or her story, but we had to abstain on our wedding night. It would be better wording to say we chose to abstain because yes. anytime we're abstaining within marriage, we're choosing that out of love. Out of love. That's the key point. Yes. So out of love. If we can recognize and take it deep in our hearts that the choice to abstain is a loving choice when we're discerning God's call for our family life, for our marriage, it's out of love. So if we make a huge sacrifice out of love for someone, does that make the other person love us more or less? Does that increase our love or decrease it? Always when we make sacrifices motivated by love, it increases our bond. And if we can just have that perspective that I want an awesome marriage, I want a deeper bond, I want to experience God's grace enabling me to sacrifice out of love to honor one another, then, then it could actually be exciting. Yes. Um, and there are people that have different practical ways of handling that. Some, I know of a couple who actually postponed their honeymoon getaway mm -hmm. until they were going to be in the infertile phase of the cycle because they wanted that to be part of their celebration and their getaway. It meant that they, you know, went back to work for a few days before going on their honeymoon and, you know, certainly had to kind of laugh about that and the <laughs> strangeness of that, but it was worth it to them. That's how they wanted to celebrate. That's not a requirement, but that's, that's an example of a choice that we know someone made. Um, in the end, it will be your beautiful story and trust that to the Lord. It will be your beautiful story and he will bring goodness whether or not you are your wedding falls during a fertile time of the cycle or not. Mark, I want to hold out two scenarios to you that you could imagine saying to your wife on your honeymoon, and let's just assume she is fertile and let's assume you have a just reason to not bring a life into the world at that time. Here are two scenarios. You could say, I don't know your fiance's name, so uh, I'm. let's call her, uh, no, I'm not gonna make up a name because you know her name. So you say, my love, I love the fact that if we came together in the marital embrace tonight, you could conceive a child. I think that is awesome. I love the way God made you. I love you for your own sake. I do not want to rob you of such a beautiful, wonderful truth of your womanhood. But because it is not wise for us at this point to bring a life into the world, I am going to show you my love for your womanhood by refraining from giving my seed to your womb. Because I love you. That's one scenario. The other scenario, Mark, would be, my love, I don't like the fact that you could have a baby tonight if we had sexual intercourse, so I still want to have sexual intercourse, but I want you to render your womb sterile because I don't like the fact that having sex tonight would lead to a baby. You're inserting a negation 
into the gift of yourself to her and her gift to you. The marital embrace is meant to be an expression and renewal of your wedding vows. And that means saying with the language of your bodies, I give myself to you freely, totally, faithfully, and we are open to life. That's what you will commit to at the altar. I urge you, my brother, do not insert an I do not into the renewal of your wedding vows that sexual intercourse is meant to be. Explore the issue, dive in. That Good News About Sex and Marriage book is a great place to start. I hope you find it helpful, and we appreciate you asking that question. I hope we at least shared something that might be inspiring or encouraging or helpful. Well, that brings us to the close of another episode of our podcast. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And just a suggestion, click that share button. If you know somebody that needs to hear this episode, click the share button and share this podcast. Another thought, we could use your support at the Theology of the Body Institute. Consider becoming a patron of our work. We have a link where you can learn more about supporting us. Uh, We can't do it without you guys. We're so grateful. Until next time, know, as always, you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.